Hi everyone, welcome to the It's Growing Season podcast. I'm your host Maggie and this series will be about all things related to real growth, true health and wellness, and learning to love and care for yourself. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope this podcast inspires you to invest in yourself more and to never stop growing into the best version of you. So without further ado, let's jump right into the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the It's Growing Season podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today for episode 55. And in honor of Men's Mental Health Awareness Month, this week's conversation is shared with the founder of MOC Fitness, health and habit coach, Trey Williams. In this episode, we have a discussion about male body image, unrealistic male body standards, and Dre's activity-focused approach to health and wellness. We talk about exercise addiction, body and muscle dysmorphia, as well as how we can destigmatize conversations about men's mental health. So yeah, I'm very excited to share this with you all. As usual, you can find all of Dre's links in the show notes below. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would love if you could leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcast. That would help me out a ton. And I am very excited to share this with you all. I hope you enjoy and let's dive right into the show. Hi, Dre. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you on my show today. Um, Before we dive into our conversation, I would love if you could introduce yourself a little bit so the listeners can get to know you first. For sure. Uh, My name's Coach Dre, or I just go by Dre. Uh, I try to leave that formal title at the door. (laughs) But uh, I coach health and wellness. Uh, I originally started out as a personal trainer, and then I realized that uh, what I'm doing is more than just fitness. I'm helping folks with uh, unpacking um, emotional details that run rampant within their daily habits, such as food, uh, just the way they view themselves uh, and the way they kind of go throughout their day. So I realized that within that one hour time that I have with them one-on-one, there's a lot of impact that can happen that's going to help them with their decisions over 23 hours. So uh, I've coined the wellness coach, uh, so to speak, but uh, been doing this for roughly 20 plus years. Uh, I have a master's in human health kinetics, a bachelor's in exercise science, and a, and a master's in sports nutrition. So for me, uh, this has been some, a passion of mine since I can remember, uh, and just finding ways to be able to help folks and, and uh, achieve their true potential. Mm, yeah. yeah. So I'm curious what your physical and mental health journey looked like and how that eventually led you to becoming a wellness and behavioral coach. Yeah, for sure. Um, For me, originally being just a personal trainer uh, or a a sports coach was was enough for a little while. Uh, I had gone through what I would consider probably the most difficult time of my life uh, when I, when my son was diagnosed with aplastic anemia and uh, I had lost two major forms of income. Uh, so I was at this point or this kind of fork in the road where it's like, what the heck do I do? Uh, I was clinically diagnosed with depression. Uh, so I had major anxiety, I had depression to the point where I was losing major sleep and I remember for the longest, I would always tell my clients is all you have to do is just show up. Like what's, what's so hard about showing up? 
And I had gone through a period where suddenly just showing up was very, very difficult. So I got it. <laughs> suddenly life hits and it, when it hits, it doesn't have, it does not pull its punches and it tries to really take you off your feet. And for me, that changed my entire method of how I coach folks. Um, I ballooned up. I went from competing in CrossFit and being fit 185 pounds. And I went up to about 265 to 270. Uh, kind of along with that came uh, some eating disorders that uh, went along with the emotional uh, effects of depression. Uh, and it was just really difficult. Uh, and when I realized I needed to come back to me was when I was sitting in a corporate job and uh was looked in the mirror when I was in the bathroom and suddenly I didn't recognize the person that I thought that I remembered. So for me, I, I took a complete about stance, a 180 and changed up my training philosophy to from is all you have to do is sh just show up to uh, what you're doing today is the best you can. <laughs> so celebrate that. And and basically like my concept or my philosophy is any victory is a, is a great victory. So oftentimes you'll hear in the fitness industry, uh, you know, Oh, I lost three or four pounds and your trainers will say, Oh, well, that's mostly water weight. Doesn't matter. Weights, weight, celebrate it. You know, if you're able to get up off the ground without any kind of pain, or you can tie your shoes without losing your breath, you've, you have a small victory. And one thing I've learned in getting back to, uh, kind of a, a happier state or having my depression uh, a little bit more under control is celebrating all the small victories is, is huge. And those build on the bigger battle, so to speak. <laughs> so. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious what your approach to uh, fitness and health is. Um, you talked a little bit about that earlier, but you know, with the wellness industry now, there's so much focus on just pure weight loss and those rapid body transformations, right? Um, so what is what are your thoughts on that and kind of how do you approach it? Uh, my thoughts on that is very, <laughs> very straightforward. I personally hate the concept of if you're not losing weight, you're not being successful. Mm -hmm. um, with all of my clients, we focus on activities first. Uh, so what is an activity that you want to get back to, or what is an activity you want to do that you never have before, or you've been told you won't be able to do? Uh, and that's that's what I focus on. The, the wonderful byproduct is going to be aesthetics. You're going, your body's going to kind of move into the, the aesthetics that you want based off of the activity you're shooting for. Um, so for me, I'm really big on that. Uh, the basic formula that the fitness industry uses, and uh, a lot of coaches will say, no, it's not. But when you really break it down, it, it is, it's, it's calories in versus calories out. So they're going to try to get you to eat less, drink more water and move more because they want to create this extreme deficit. Uh, the reason why they have you drink more water is two part one, because before you weigh in, you're going to get rid of most of that water and then your weigh-in is going to be lower. Uh, so that's kind of that, that corporate style of uh, seeing progress. Uh, and then number two, it is really important to increase your water intake because it does help your body function appropriately. But the tough thing is, is it's not the most sexy thing to talk about. You know, how much water do you drink? <laughs> you know, you need to drink more water. Here's a calculation. And most people want 
you know, that quick fix because that's what our society is given. Uh, we live in the day and age of what have you done for me in the last 20 minutes, not what can you do for me over time. So our patience is worn thin uh, with things that really affect us. Um, and one thing I try to relay to all my clients and, and if I can to all your listeners is you get one body, you don't get to replace these parts like you do a car. So it's probably best that we take care of it better than you do a car. Uh, and the fitness industry doesn't really speak to that. It's always go harder. Uh, I don't know how many times I see things on Instagram of, you know, if you, if you, if you're not seeing success, it means you're not working hard enough or you don't want it bad enough. And that's just not the case. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm pretty sure there's plenty of people out there that want it really bad, but they just have a hard time connecting with a coach that's going to help them get those results and really balance their actual life to be able to make it happen. Yeah. I love your focus on activity and how, you know, even that small example of being able to tie your shoes without like your body hurting, right? Those mm -hmm. little things that are such wonderful accomplishments that aren't really related to, you know, your weight, because you could be technically healthier at a higher weight than at a lower one. And it's a lot of it is about how you feel and kind of the activities oh, yeah. that led up to you feeling that way. And just what you said about only having one body and, you know, the quick fixes, those rapid body transformations. If you really want to feel good, it's probably not going to take one week. It's probably going to take a long-term investment oh, of yeah. your physical and mental health in order to get to that state where you're truly just happy and living a sustainable lifestyle. Yeah. My wife has one of the best uh, analogies. It's like the bushy and it's her business. It's the body bank. Uh, what you deposit is what you're going to have on the back end, right? So when you take that philosophy and you look at it as investment, you're investing and you've been investing long-term. Unfortunately, you've just been investing the wrong way. So now your body is starting to rebel. So you have high blood pressure, some aching knees, weight gain, potential precursors to diabetes. Uh, so now the goal is to try to start to reinvest appropriately and get rid of this additional weight that you don't need. Um, it didn't. It doesn't happen in a week getting where we're at. We just happen to notice it in that week window. It's like suddenly, like I said, holy crap, where did this come from, <laughs> right? Uh, that's often what happens with folks, but they don't realize this is years in the making. This is the, you know, two years ago when you thought maybe I should get a gym membership and then you didn't, or maybe I should change up my eating habits, but then you didn't. And it all compounds into this interest that is our health system and the way our bodies are, unfortunately, in the moment. So. Yeah. And I also felt to mention that Dre's wife is Jen, who is a podcast guest a while back. So this is yep. a very full circle moment. I love it. Um, but you talking about just the fitness industry and all the kind of stuff I want to dive into, you know, male body image. And mm -hmm. as it is men's mental health awareness month, I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to bring this up because I feel like, you know, as someone who has struggled with um, an eating disorder in the past, it's become so easy, easier to talk about women's eating disorders and body image on social media and just like among um our immediate community but i mm -hmm. don't i don't see 
you know, male body image, male body standards, these conversations being talked about in society that all that much. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on it. Well, I mean, you're, you're spot on. It doesn't get talked about nearly enough. Um, I've briefly talked about it with my wife in regards to mine and, and I mean, self-admittedly, I don't talk about it as much as I should, especially with my community. Um, so I felt like when Jen asked me to be on, like, if you were looking for somebody and talk about uh, eating disorders and body images, and I was like, this is actually, okay, the universe is talking to me saying I need to start talking about it. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really bad uh, in the men in, in the men's circle, so to speak, or uh, those that identify as males, uh, because of the fact that there's this this energy or this ambiance that, like, you know, I can't talk to somebody about me not feeling like I look how I sh- I feel I should, or uh, having this image disorder because of the fact that society says I should look this way and I don't. Um, so, I mean, I I suffer. I still actively suffer from it. And I try to work my way through it because I went from being a professional track athlete to a CrossFitter and I gained weight dramatically. So from what I was accustomed to as a track athlete, I gained weight dramatically and it was muscle mass. But if we rewind back to even my physique for track, I was told from the, from high school on, I cannot go to the weight room because I put on too much muscle mass. I'm going to be too big to be an 800 meter runner. Like all of these things just keep weighing on you. And you have to be careful because my reaction was I had a ridiculous sweet tooth and my emotional response to anxiety, whenever was, I was faced with, I'm potentially not going to be where I'm supposed to be or not look the way I'm supposed to look. It was to reach out for sweets like crazy. And I'm not talking like, candy bars, things like that. Like I got to a point where I was eating whole pumpkin pies and drinking like uh, a half gallon of freaking like eggnog, chocolate milk, whatever, just like throwing down ridiculous amounts of sugar and crap. And it wasn't necessarily a binge and purge, which a lot of folks would be more accustomed to with. It was more along the lines of I would binge and then I would go and do a workout that was just ridiculous ridiculous. And I I would be on that cycle because now I knew I had to burn that. So it was this constant cycle. And I find that even to this day, when I face very stressful moments, my knee jerk reaction is to try to go grab for something sweet. So I have to like actively have a plan in place to prevent that from happening. Um, And these are things that have taken years and counseling for me to fully understand about me. and unfortunately, in the in the male, like the, the those that identify as male community, it's one of those things where it's like that we don't do that. We don't talk about our feelings. And it's even more so in uh, in, in those and in, in people of color. It's like you don't talk about I don't feel like I look like I should like just be happy with where you're at. You know, that's how it's always supposed to be. Or you have to go get strong. If you're not strong, then why are you identified as a male? You know what I mean? Uh, and it's it's really, in my opinion, a really sad uh, view because, and oftentimes you'll hear it, you know, man up or, uh, you know, you, you got to you gotta really just be aggressive. Like you got to just, for some reason, we have this weird undertone that, 
to man up means you have to look a specific way, lift weights. You have to be extremely strong and just emotionally shut down. And that's where these body image issues and eating disorders come from. And I think that they're very rampant in the male community, but just not talked about, like you said. Yeah. Wow. This is so interesting. I've never talked to anyone about just like their own personal struggle of navigating weight as a male. And you're talking about muscle mass too. And how, when you were, um, you were doing track, it was actually, you were told that you had too much muscle. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, from my understanding, like the male body standard is lean and have muscle, right? It's almost the opposite of the female body standards of, of being thin. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how you can like, quote unquote, overdo it. And then that's still not enough. Like you can't overdo it. You can't underdo it. You have to find that perfect, happy medium, but realistically how, like, who can really achieve that? Exactly. And it's, it's so hard. And then even in, like, I, I dove into CrossFit and I really, I loved certain aspects of CrossFit. I felt as though that the community base, the, the trend that it had for, for women was amazing. Um, and even so for men, where it's just like, you know, it's not what your body looks like. It's what it can do. However, the problem that I was still facing was that I still had in the back of my head, because I hadn't done enough work on it, of it's also what I look like. So for me, I had times where I felt I was too soft looking. Uh, I I wasn't ripped enough and I didn't look like a competitor. Uh, I would say one of the most difficult times that I ever had was in a competition where I ended up losing to somebody that was visibly or aesthetically softer than me. Like they looked a little bit chubby. So for me, even though I'm like, I know, and I coach this for some reason, it processed my head. This I lost to him because I must be that. And I went on this like tyrant of like going through my nutrition and just being way over restrictive. Uh, And it was, it was bad. It was like, it was not okay. So a lot of work later and understanding how to approach this with a lot of my athletes and clients uh, has helped me to get a better understanding that once again, it's that foundational. It's not what it looks like. It's what it can do. It's the activity and, you know, aesthetics will come along with it. And I, I didn't know this person's story. I didn't know where they came from. I just knew my experience and my trauma for some reason defined it as this. And it was like, it was really bad. It was rough. <laughs> yeah. And there's no denying that most of us do have that type of like bias in the back of our mind based off of our experiences and mm-hmm. also what society tells us. And it's so hard to unlearn. But if you're aware, even aware that that is a bias, I think that can take you a long way to and noticing that it's not really you speaking. It's yep. an older version of you and you know the truth. Oh, yeah. And there's so many other things that come into play. Um, Like with my program, I teach people how to uh, track their trends and what triggers them uh, to be able to have a plan in place. And originally I'd put together a program specifically for women because I wanted to go based off of their cycle, because you can actually predict when you're going to be at your highest propensity for strength gains, uh, highest uh, propensity for injuries, all of these things, when you should rest, when you're going to be craving salty things or sweet things, right? 
in in your in your cycle for a female, you're able to track that. Well, I ended up stumbling across science that shows that you could do the same thing for males as well. Uh, it's a little bit easier because of the fact that for for women, if you're in a certain group, your cycle will change and it adapts to those around it. Whereas for men, uh, it's based off the 28 day lunar cycle. And you could actually track. Now, it's not that like I'm the same exact as the man next to me, but like, for example, day 20 through 23, that's when I'm at my peak for emotional response. My hormones, for some reason, are running haywire. So I actually have a higher propensity to uh, triggered towards sweets during day 20 to 23 of the moon cycle. You can track this and be able to actually determine when these potential triggers are going to come up when you're going to be most emotionally agitated, when you're going to be way more relaxed, when you can push in workouts, when you're going to be really solid and cognitive for work. And so now you take not only your trauma and you take that data and put it together and you could really come up with a very sustainable and systematic approach towards just bettering your life and becoming just way more balanced. That was what I had to do uh, for finding balance with my depression and anxiety, because for me, I like to know what's coming down the pipeline. <laughs> That's just how I work. I need to know so I can put a plan together. And I've found that more and more people are like that, yeah. but our society, once again, has just really labeled everything as the quick fix. If it can't be fixed in seven days, you're a lost cause. So, and it, I'm trying to, with my small little niche, I'm trying to change that, that mode, that, that train of thought. Yeah, that's awesome. And kind of understanding when your body will have a greater desire to eat or exercise a certain way, you almost be more gentle with yourself because you know that not every day will be the same. And also that every body is different and each cycle mm -hmm. is different. So how the person next to you trains or eats or, you know, the way they move their body, it might not work for you. It might work, but you shouldn't feel frustrated or disappointed if someone else's plan doesn't work for you because everybody responds differently and you need oh, a kind of a unique little recipe for yourself. Definitely. And that's what I, I really try to like, I'm so glad that you said that because that means obviously somebody else knows this because these templates, these quick fixes there, it worked for one person or maybe 10 people, but Unfortunately, those particular individuals might be of the same training set. They might have very similar biomarkers. So it really worked well for them. That doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. Uh, so things like keto, things like paleo, they're not sustainable because of the fact that if you look at the actual foundation of it, it's taking macronutrients away or it's putting you in a caloric deficit. Yeah. Um, so when you want sustainability, it needs to be something that's working specifically for you. So for, for example, the way your body assimilates macronutrients, your protein, carbs, and fats is not going to be the same as mine. Whereas mine can really dive in on carbohydrates, both grains and vegetables and fruits. Somebody else might not be able to, they might have an intolerance to grains uh, or the way that the grains are processed in the U S so they can't eat as much. Uh, so they have to maneuver and, 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 and fix their macronutrient intake based off of that. Or, they might consume protein and their body's protein synthesis doesn't really process it as efficiently and it, it diverts everything to our fat cells and stores it that way. So there's so many different markers that come into play. And 
the easiest way to track that down to find out what's going to be best for you. Like if we were coming up with a nutrition plan for you, it'd be like, what's best for Maggie? Not what can I pull off of the shelf and and try to see if that works. We're going to find out what's best for you. So you do roughly seven, seven days of tracking exactly what you eat and when you eat. So then we were able to say, okay, you like carbohydrates more in the morning. So let's go ahead and adjust a nutrition plan that's going to work for that. You also are inadvertently doing intermittent fasting. So let's put it, let's put a structured plan that's going to make that work. You know, and then also to keep in mind any past trauma. If somebody has any kind of eating disorders, intermittent fasting may not be ideal for them. So you're going to want to try to create different time domains that are going to work for them that aren't so stringent because with folks that come from eating disorder background, you put really stringent restrictions on their food intake. Suddenly it just cascades to something dramatically different. And you've potentially given a new eating disorder to somebody that's already suffering. So that's our fitness industry. And it's like, it's so frustrating because I'm like, no, we have to understand the emotional and cognitive response to uh, like imposed stresses, such as changing somebody's nutrition, which is big. So like, I don't know if you know, like oftentimes trainers will tell you 80% of your goal, whether it's performance or aesthetics is going to be nutrition. I don't know why we put such like so little effort into helping folks truly find a sustainable plan. If it's so big, why are we just pulling cookie cutter nutrition plans for folks? Find out the, don't just find out their proximate solution, that initial eat less, move more, find out the ultimate solution, find out the relationship. Why does Dre reach for pumpkin pie and eggnog like nobody's business? Because that's my emotional response because Thanksgiving is normally the most stressful time in my family because that leads to holidays, which means money's going to be tight. And Thanksgiving is like, that's our best celebration because that's where it's just food. And that's my comfort, right? So finding your ultimate relationship on why is going to be where you come up with the plan to not prevent, but try to lower the potential of going that route. Wow. I think you just put words to thoughts that I've been having for so long. I just didn't know how to verbalize it. (laughs) Like you talking about incorporating past trauma and past experiences into, you know, trying to find a sustainable uh, lifestyle or diet now is so like, no one does that, but why aren't we doing that? Like when you talked about how, if someone had an eating disorder in the past and you trying to encourage them to start trying intermittent fasting, that is just another restriction and eating disorders thrive off of that. Like Mm -hmm. they want control and restriction. And it's almost like giving them another way to control their body through food, Yep. but it's just rewording it in a way where it doesn't sound like an eating disorder, but underlying all of that is just eating disorder masked at with a pretty more more socially acceptable title yeah. um and and you know, being the trainer you're coming from a position of power giving permission yes to basically screw like to throw things up in the air like this now and it's like mm-hmm. it's a really slippery slope when you're doing that and trainers i don't think recognize the type of power that we have when it comes to nutrition so i it's yeah you you hit the nail on the head with that one it's like yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. And just to talk more about adopting a more sustainable lifestyle in terms of your health and fitness, I want to go back to a little bit to what you said about like that exercise cycle when you do binge and then exercise intensely, right? That mm-hmm. ends up being a very negative cycle of like guilt and then overworking and then restarting, right? And mm-hmm. I want to talk about the the concept of like exercise addiction and kind of how that manifests in males. Um, I pulled up this, I was doing a little bit of research about this because I was genuinely just curious. Yeah. It's a statistic from uh, the Newport Institute showing that uh, 90% of teen boys exercise with a specific goal of bulking up. And it is researchers have coined the phrase muscle dysmorphia, also known as reverse anorexia or big orexia to describe male body image disorders that are focused around the obsessive desire to have a bigger and more muscular body. And this is just almost the opposite of what it's like for a female. So Mm -hmm. like, how does that, like, how does exercise addiction come to play here? And then kind of how can you like get out of that cycle? It's, it's so huge. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like you will have, and it's not just with teens. Uh, it's probably more prevalent in regards to teens because they speak about it more. Um, yeah. In adults, it doesn't happen as much uh, because well, we don't talk about it as much. But it's the concept of, you know, I got I got man boobs. I need to get pecs. So I need to bench like crazy. My arms are small. So I need to do all sorts of bicep triceps. And then you look at the nutrition, their protein intake is through the roof. And they don't acknowledge the fact that your body could only assimilate so much protein per hour. So you're just really creating expensive crap, so to speak. So this concept is, it's, it's so at the fault of our personal training industry, um, to be totally honest with you. Uh, Everything you see on TikTok and Instagram that's fitness related is about either those spectrums, the potential anorexia of you have to limit your food intake to get extremely shredded, ripped, and and quote unquote sexy, right? Or you have to bulk up and increase your food intake and increase your protein intake, 300 grams of protein a day to get to this where you're at a state where you potentially are harming your skeletal frame, right? Mm -hmm. So- this addiction of working out comes hand in hand, uh, whether it's extreme amount of cardio or doing extreme amount of weightlifting to try to find ways to get this hypertrophy to build those muscles, right? So the it's hard to get folks out of that mode. Once again, it becomes more of a, an activity-based uh, focus versus uh, an aesthetics. And when you're coming from a society that's built on aesthetics, like this is what our, our, our movies are based off of. Uh, the bad guy is always the skinny guy that looks unhealthy, right? It's never, it's only recently changed with like guys like Idris Elba playing bad guys. Right. But before it was like the bad guy, the sinister bad guy was the skinny, like really frail looking person. The hero is the Superman esque extremely big, strong and chiseled. Right. So even though it feels like we're so far long, so far gone from those particular stereotypes, they're very much ingrained in us. Uh, and it's really difficult to, to break folks from that. And like I said, it really just comes down to two things. It's focusing on, uh, activity-based, uh, goals versus aesthetics. 
Uh, and that's even with my athletes. I have some baseball players and whatnot where we focus on specific activities within their sport that we want to get better at and aesthetics comes along with it. Uh, and then the other one is the, the rule of definition. One day does not define your entire process. Uh, I had a podcast with Mary Allison Brown uh, where we were talking about the, the progress ladder, so to speak, or she had coined it as the mountain. You may have a day or a week where you fall down. Your nutrition is terrible. You eat like an a-hole and it's just bad, right? But that doesn't define your entire process. If you stop and look around, you have now reached mid-summit of this mountain. Mm. Let's go ahead and regroup and start planning to take that next step. And there's many times where it's going to be tough. Uh, I always tell all of my athletes, I, I have three in particular that have, uh, probably symptoms of work, the, the workout disorder, uh, and, and body dysmorphia. And we really go back to, uh, this is your new day one. Uh, you can never have enough day ones. You could be an extreme professional at day ones. And once you get to that point where day ones become effortless, then we make a plan to get to day two. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to do day one, day two. And this cycle will continue for forever and ever. Amen. Until you get to a point where you can get to day three. But too often we think we have to go boom, boom in this chronological order. And we don't realize that when it comes to your, your fitness goals, to be able to create a healthy, balanced approach to get away from a lot of this dysmorphia and a lot of these, uh, these issues that are running rampant through the industry is time is not this linear uh, focus. Time is very round. It's very, it has, it's very spherical. You can move forward, back sideways, and that's going to be the easiest focus to help somebody with these dysmorphias to understand it's not just forward. It's okay to take a step back and it's okay to look around and re reevaluate. Am I going the right way? Is this way going to be really what's going to make me happy? Because I don't know how often folks get what they want and they're not happy. Like I've had athletes where we get them to the bulk state that they want to get to and they just, and suddenly they need to get bigger. Suddenly their calves aren't big enough. Their legs aren't big enough. And it's because we haven't fixed that ultimate problem, that ultimate relationship. Why are you trying to do this? Have you been there before? And at what state in your body's aesthetics, were you your happiest? And then once we can unpack all that, then we could say, now, why? Why were you your happiest? Was it because you were active, you're, you're extremely active? What activities were you doing? And then that goes full circle, activity-based goals. So that's going to be, I mean, to be honest with you, to when it comes to workout disorders, activity-based goals is the key. Uh, when it comes to any kind of dysmorphia, it's going to come. It's going to be a little bit more work. Uh, some counseling. It's going to is going to be involved, and it's what I recommend. I work with Jen with uh, EFT tapping, uh, so mm-hmm. we can help really dive into that. And then we also have a couple counselors that we work with that I recommend folks to if there's things that are definitely red flags, and I'm like, this is out of my scope. <laughs> so, so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And how do you think we can begin to open up this conversation of male mental health and healthy masculinity and not needing to constantly thrive for this ideal male body figure? Um, I know it's a lot harder for 
for men to kind of be vulnerable in that way because mental health is just so rarely talked about. Like mm-hmm. personally for me, I think it's quite honestly now quite easy for me to talk about my mental health, but with um, perhaps my guy friends, it's I rarely ever hear them contributing about their own state. Like, how are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. I think it's just gonna. It it sounds basic, but it really comes down to just more conversations about it. Um, and it needs to be in settings that aren't necessarily your atypical, less share feelings, uh, yeah. because there there are there's stereotypes. There's this 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 uh, like feeling of if I go do a quote unquote men's group uh, out in the wilderness, it's going to be kind of hippy dippy, right? <laughs> So I think that it comes down to finding a different surrounding that can really make an impact. Uh, Like, for example, if you do like a men's group at a gym, at a CrossFit gym, something along those lines where it still has this, for some reason, like I said, we're very carnal and we, we just need this, this masculine environment. And if you still, if you're able to surround them in that sphere of masculinity, then you could start to break down those those masculine walls, and you could actually get into how they're feeling. I don't know how many times I've had folks when I when I owned a CrossFit gym, I would have uh, my my male athletes or clients would actually start to kind of chip away at their walls and share what is truly going on with them, because we're in. A safe space. If you take me out to the wilderness and we have fires and and are like really more in touch with like wilderness, I can do that because that's how I was raised. My wife's like that. But if we take my brother, who was really we raised the same, but he kind of didn't believe or didn't really buy into that method of being able to share, and you brought him into that same atmosphere, he's going to close up. And you're not going to get them to share about the, the trauma or something that was said that makes them feel as though they need to build their arms, right? I was on a podcast just recently, and even things that we say as kids, it's how we train our kids, so to speak, train, I say loosely, but how we, how we raise our kids to talk to other people. Uh, in high school, sophomore year, I had a podcast with a gentleman we were talking about high school, he does high school reunion podcast stuff. And he told me that there's something I said to him when we were in sophomore in high school that I didn't think I did. Like, I don't even remember it, but it stuck with him to this day. When he first started shaving, I had mentioned that it looked like he shaved in step ladders down the face. So it wasn't smooth. So he still had hair up on the top, but not quite on the bottom. So like at the angle, I could see where he didn't shave. So now to this day, he said he makes sure he gets everything when he shaves, like he gets all the way up. So in my innocence of not knowing how to communicate with somebody, I created a disorder, right? So if we're able to talk to our kids on appropriate communication, and that's where it really starts, appropriate communication, then we're going to be able to break free of this ridiculous societal norm of, you know, thin is beautiful and men have to be strong because in my opinion, a a strong woman is the most beautiful, sexy thing. Like if a woman gets in and is able to squat three times their weight, I'm like, Hey, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like we, and we have these weird norms and you'll even run across that in the fitness industry where it's like, guys are like, Oh, 
you lift too much as a woman or, oh, that's steroids. We have all these weird like crab tendencies where it's like we're trying to bring everybody down instead of trying to lift everybody up. So I'm not, I'm not sure if you're aware of that analogy where it's like yeah. crabs in a pot. Yeah. yeah. Instead of say, instead of seeing somebody's hard work and success and like, Oh, like I had a client that lost a hundred pounds with me. They had somebody say, well, what diet are you doing or what pills are you using? She's like, I'm working with a trainer. No, that's BS. You're doing something else. We can't believe that somebody actually put in the work to do this sustainably. Yeah. You see somebody like uh, I just saw it on Instagram. There's this uh, former CrossFitter, just impeccable physique, super strong. She's doing a workout. And for the four first comments, steroids. I'm like, why? Why do we do that? Yeah. And it's because we're so uncomfortable with ourselves. And more times than not, it's men that are doing that because we're so uncomfortable with ourselves and because we don't talk about it. And once again, it's coming into that space where we can create an environment that we that men will feel more comfortable to share. And as we start to break down those walls, then I think we'll get uh, a better, <laughs> more well-rounded approach for men's health, uh, emotionally, psychologically, and physically. Yeah. Well, thank you for being at the forefront of all of this and opening up that conversation. I've always wanted to talk about this on my show. And it's, I'm so glad that I'm finally having this conversation because personally, I can't speak from my own experience. I wanted to bring someone in who have those lived experiences. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, like I said, it, it felt like one of those divine timing things. I was like, okay, mm. yep, I got to do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I have one last question to end the podcast today. Yep. But before that, if listeners can take away one lesson from our conversation today, what would you say that would be? Uh, if you were to be able to take away one lesson, I think the that rule of definition, uh, one day or one week, one month doesn't define your wellness journey. Uh, we're human. We're given the the gift of choice. So to think that we're going to make the right choice every single moment of your life is, is a veil of, uh, of uh, a lie, so to speak. We're going to make mistakes. The goal is to learn from them and understand that those mistakes don't define you. Mm, I love that. And for my last question of the podcast, this is something that I ask every guest that comes onto my show. Uh, since my podcast is called It's Growing Season, I believe that just like crops, humans go through different seasons in their lives. So I wanted to ask you, how would you define this specific season in your life? I would say, I, and I'll be honest, I, I kind of cheated. Jen gave me some insight. Like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know. I, I, I answered this. <laughs> Give me a little bit of time to practice. Like, yeah. um, <laughs> I would say that I'm just past harvest and at reseeding because mm -hmm. we go through different stages of life where we grow our harvested and then regrow. Uh, I think I'm at that stage of regrowth. Um, and I've just recently been seeded and watered. And now it's just uh, the waiting game of getting to the point of uh, harvesting again. So, oh my gosh, that was the most planned out answer I've heard. Right. I, I, <laughs> I didn't write it down. I practiced it. Though. I rehearsed that in the mirror. 
woke up this morning. I was like, I'm so ready for that. And for that. Question. Right? I don't know how the rest of the podcast is going to go, but I'm ready for that. question. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, and for listeners who are curious to learn more about you, uh, where can they find you and where can they find your content? Uh, they can find us on our website. So www.mocfitness.com. Uh, so it's just mock fitness. Uh, also, you could find me on Facebook. I accept virtually all friend requests. <laughs> so that's uh, Coach Dre, uh, MOC Fitness. Um, and then, yeah, we also have a Facebook group. Uh, it says it's it's 40 plus presented by MOC Fitness, but you do not have to be 40 or older. Uh, I will say that most of the content is geared towards folks that are 40 or older, but fitness and nutrition is fitness and nutrition and everybody can use it. I have a lot of folks in there that are not 40 or older. I myself am not 40 yet. I have a couple more months. So, so yeah, it's, it's literally just a fitness group um, that unfortunately I was told that I needed to create a niche for. So, and that was what came up. So. Awesome. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. It was so lovely having you on my show and just talking about this topic that is so rarely talked about. So thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave me a review and give me a follow. And you can also find me on my Instagram at mags.lee and at It's Growing Season, as well as my website, which is growwithmaggie.com. And you'll be able to find all of this in the show notes below. Thank you so much again for taking the time to listen. And I hope to see you in a future episode. Bye, everybody.